0: Mark chapter 2 and verse 3 And they, someone say they Came unto him bringing one Someone say one Sick of the palsy which was born Of four Father I thank you for God the many times that you have Helped us God the many times that your word Has lifted us and encouraged us And spoke to us God that word that hovered over the impossible elements of this earth when they were nothing when your word came they became something and God somebody tonight I'm asking that your word would do that work in their life that God as your spirit hovers in this room as your word begins to speak that something would come out of nothing God that something would begin to occur that the breath of the Holy Ghost would begin to breathe that the word of life would become real in somebody's life tonight God I pray that you would lift someone into their purpose and the plan that you have designed for them God allow us God, not just to relegate your word to someone else tonight, but allow us to receive it. Allow this, God, to be, God, a complete word to work in every heart, in every life, in every mind. God, compel and God, push our church forward, we pray. Someone that's watching online, I ask that you bring courage and comfort to them as we speak tonight, as your word is declared, that something miraculous occur, and we'll praise you for it in advance. God, we'll praise you for it before it happens. We'll praise you for it because we can see it in the future. God, we praise you for it because someone's going to break free of the paralysis. We praise you for it because someone's coming up off of their bed of sickness. God, we praise you for it because you can tonight. I give God glory. Come on, we sang about it. Why don't we just do it for one more moment? I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible is emphatic in its declaration that we can't do this alone. Deuteronomy 32 and 30 said, how should one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up. God is saying that that he gives us this lesson, this message that one can chase a thousand but two can put 10,000 to flight that the ability for us to work together the opportunity that we have to come together isn't just, it's just so that we can observe our community. Just isn't so that we can count the number in our congregation. But God has a purpose. And God has a divine design that when we gather together, something supernatural happens. In the natural, one can put a thousand flight, But watch what occurs when you get a couple of people that bind together, that agree together, that pray together, come on, that worship together. All of a sudden in the supernatural realm something is broken free there's an opportunity that's released because we are joined together we need each other just look at your neighbor and tell them i need you oh that's hard for us pride proud people i need you i need you i need i need you but if there's anything that we're trying to emphasize in this family month, it's not about segregating the elements of our congregation. It's not about bringing division so that we can have all these little silo ministries showcase themselves through this month. I'll tell you what it's all about. It's all about realizing that our church is a multi-generational, multicultural church that's come together, and God has a purpose, and God has a plan. And when we unite, when we join, we don't have to do this Minimal work. God has a maximum spiritual output work that he wants to do through us. We all need each other. John chapter 5 gives us a story. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, verse 1, verse 2. Now there is by the sheep market a pool called Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. It's a crippled congregation. It's a group of individuals that uh, they've lost all hope. They've lost sight of the future. And uh, now their focus and their purpose has become this pool at Bethesda. Everything that their mind is focused on is is a moving of the water that occurs in different seasons of time. Maybe just one day a year. And, And they wait for the angel to come down in that certain season to the pool and trouble the water. And the Bible said that it was, uh, you know, there's no losers that win here. It's just the first person into the water after the troubling was made, was made whole. The Bible says whatever disease they had, if they were the first to step into the water, that they were made whole. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity of 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, wilt thou be made whole? You see, we live in a society that focuses on winners. Has anyone ever lost? I remember, uh, I remember I've I've told you many times that when I was in elementary school, I was like the shortest kid in the class. I was a preemie, so I was born in October. Probably should have been held back a year, really, at my birth. It would have been in the following year. And, and I was just short as it was. I don't know if Cheyenne took all the growth, growth hormones, but, you know, I, I spent half my life looking up to my, my twin sister. She was about a foot taller than me most of the time. But I could run. I could run fast I, for, for the size of me. And, and I don't know what invited this teacher to do it, but they put me in the provincial cross-country running tournament. I remember us getting on the bus that one morning, and I had never trained. <laughs> like, there was no training. It's okay, you're going to get on the, like, the gym teacher just came. I think his name was Mr. Brogan. Mr. Brogan came and said, you're, you're going to go to Sussex, and you're going to, you know, you're, you're competing in the, In the long distance run, and and I remember no training, no idea about what to do. We hadn't, we never ran a race at all. I think we had run our race in a school, and and I had placed up there somewhere, and I was able to go. So they sent me on the bus, and here's little Jackie Lehman, (laughs) but that tall in elementary school, grade six, probably like 10, 11, 12 years old. I was 11 or 12 years old, and and I remember getting on that bus, and we're just before we're getting on, the, the meeting place was the Irving store, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna get a chocolate bar. That ought to be enough energy. I've heard that you can get a lot of energy. Mom says I'm hyper when I eat chocolate bars, so I'm going to eat this chocolate bar. And So just before the race, I wolf down this chocolate bar, and I start running this race, and, and it's the cross-country race, so I'm doing all right. You know, I'm not at the front of the pack. I'm somewhere in the middle. And we're running around the Sussex High School field, and here we are. We're running around, and as we you know, make the lap about the, the perimeter of this entire campus in Sussex, I remembered that, you know, I, I was kind of in the middle of the pack, and I was comfortable there. However, about halfway through, I began to realize that the people that were running behind me were slowly just dropping off. And what was the middle of the pack was now becoming the back of the pack. And I remember looking over my shoulder and watching people just quit the race and begin to walk across the field. And I began to do the math in my head. I thought, I'm not quitting. I just had enough gumption to function in me to make sure that I wasn't going to stop partway through the race. I was going to make it to the end. But what I didn't want was to be last. I didn't want to finish last. Call it pride. You know, in my mind, I knew that a bunch of kids behind me had just quit. I wasn't going to quit. But I didn't want to finish last. But one by one. And we're running. It's a long race. It's like probably a 20-minute race, and, and, uh, or at least maybe it felt like five hours. I don't know. I was 11. I was short. I had to to double pace it for every pace they ran. Every every pace that Tim Johnson ran, I had to run two. I ran twice as far as him. But now here I am. I thought I was in the middle of the pack, and now I'm at the back of the pack. So I set my sights on the one kid that was ahead of me. And we came around the turn and there's all these people in the stretch and they're already cheered and cheering for the, the winner of the race and now here I am running at the back of the pack and I look like the total loser. Can anybody relate? You know, I don't remember a lot. I remember different snapshots in my childhood, very uh, impactful things. But I remember, I, <clears throat> I remember giving everything I had, running as hard as I could just to get to that guy that was ahead of me because I didn't want to finish last. I could tell people, oh, we had a bunch of quitters. I, wasn't, I didn't have enough breath to talk, let alone shout to everybody on the sideline. A bunch of people quit. I'm not last. I'm not the loser. They're over there, over there coming through the field. Nobody likes to be the loser. Nobody likes to be last. and that, that, I, I'll, I'll never forget that. And, and I, I remember just giving it everything I had. And, and if I passed that guy that was ahead of me, I don't even know if I did. It would have been just at the finish line. It was a race for the finish of last place. I don't know what the race for the first place was like. But I do remember it was a fight to the finish for me just not to place last. Nobody wants to be the loser. But the reality is, is that sometimes every one of us in our lives... Find ourselves in the position of having lost or losing. We find ourselves in the place of impossibility. We find ourselves, and you know, sometimes we can fake everybody out. We can, we can kind of run our very hardest and put forth our, our our best effort, just so it looks like we're not last. But we know, in reality, we're broken. We're on the bottom. We can't get ourselves up, and we need help from above, and we need help from each other. We can't do it all by ourselves but we keep trying to put this motion forward that we can do it can I tell you that's what it was like for this man sitting at Bethesda he had that infirmity and he had placed maybe he didn't place first maybe he'd been second but he knew that he had been there too long the certain man there said he had been there with that infirmary firmity For 38 years, 38 years of just missing it by a moment, 38 years, you know, after 38 years, you begin to think of yourself as I'm never going to get out of this place, 38 years, you become comfortable with your environment, 38 years, you become comfortable with your surroundings, you know, you can get focused on your failure and then you can get comfortable in failing. He had failed for 38 years. The impossibility was a reality to him. And as a matter of fact, when Jesus saw him, he knew the entire story. He was God. So he had seen in his mind the number of times that the lame man had almost got to the pool. The number of times that he had slipped on the way and somebody got there before him for 38 years. Jesus had the image in his mind of the number of times that he had tried and he had failed. And the Bible says, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Everybody wants to be whole. We all want to win. None of us want to lose. Everybody wants heaven. We all want to be part of a successful growing church. We all want to be part of a successful thriving family. We all want to be part of those things. We all want that. But sometimes we're faced with the reality that that's not where we are. I'm not speaking against our church. I love CCC. But am I saying that we can become a better church? Absolutely. Absolutely. Am I saying that God's challenging us, that God's pushing us, that God's compelling us, that God's opening our ears to the spiritual realm, that God's, come on, God's just, just giving us that little nudge to go a little bit further, a little bit deeper. Aren't you grateful that God won't leave us the way that he found us? Aren't you glad that God said, I, I know what it's been like. I know where you've been. I know how many times you tried. I know many how many times you failed. I know what mindsets you've got. I know how you're locked up mentally right now, but that's... Not where you need to stay? He said, Will you be made whole? That's the first thing that we need to realize. I'm grateful for the church that we are. But I think that God's saying there's more in store. God's saying, I just want to open up the idea that you can become better. I want to open up the idea that there's more for you to become. That there's a future that I have for you. You haven't lived out your entire purpose yet. I've got a plan for you. And if you could just see it, you've done well up until now. But there's a wholeness that I want to bring into your life. There's a completeness that you can become. Will you be made whole? The impotent man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man. Someone say, he had nobody. That when the water is troubled, to put me in the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And that is a miraculous event in Scripture. And it's a wonderful story to preach about the power of Jesus to heal. About the power of Jesus. He is. He's greater than the infirmity. He's greater than the sickness. He is the healer. He is the great physician. He is the water stirrer. Jesus is all that we need. And we could preach that and we could run the aisles tonight. However, I do believe that for this lesson, there is another Part of the story tucked away that God wants to release to us. And that was the fact that the lame man had no man. Spiritually speaking, paralysis is a universal problem. We all face paralysis. We face paralysis in our faith, we face paralysis in our dreams. We all have good intentions. We all can dream. Yeah, you know, what? we can dream in the natural. I remember having the picture of the Lamborghini Countach on my wall. The reality is, I, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. But we all have supernatural vision. And we have hope that we can become the people that God wants us to become. That our family is in the kingdom of God. That our community, our workplace is impacted by our presence and our testimony. We all have dreams for the future. But sometimes we are paralyzed by our problems. We're paralyzed by our sin. We're paralyzed by our failure. Our past We're paralyzed by pain that somebody brings into our life. We're paralyzed because somebody hurt us and we can't get over that hurt. And we realize that we find ourselves as the man on the mat at the pool of Bethesda. It's not where we wanted to be. It's not where we intended to be but the hope that we find in the story is that Jesus doesn't want you to stay there either. You see, your failure that caused you to find yourself in this place was not final. The sin that immobilized you on your walk with God isn't a permanent stop sign. The pain that you sensed and that was inflicted on you isn't there to paralyze you. But God is going to use that herd to mobilize you so you can help somebody who's walking through a similar place, walking through a similar state, who's going through a similar valley that you can come alongside and say, hey, I know exactly where you are. I've been there before. You see, everybody needs somebody God's not finished with you. We're here. You need to tell yourself sometime look who's still here. Look who's still in the story. Look who's still sitting in the pew. With all of hell that came against you, look who's still here take a minute and just look around and say, you know, I know that that could have crippled them forever, but they're still here. God walked with them through that valley. God was with them in the midst of that trying season of time. God helped them up in that impossible, in that impossible situation, and they're still here. I'll tell you why, because God still has a plan for your life. It's not finished. It's not over until God says it over, and God wants somebody to know tonight, even though right now you're looking at the pool for a stirring of the water. God wants you to know the mat isn't the place for you. The future is great. And God's going to open a door of opportunity. He's going to bring about a purpose and a plan. And you're going to step into your future. You're going to step into the plan that God has for you. It's not over yet. It's time to deny the lie of the devil and tell God I'm ready. God I'm ready to go forward. I'm ready to go into the plan. Yeah we've fallen a few times. Yeah we fell down a couple of times. We may be running at the back of the pack, but we're not finished. We're going to complete the race that God has given us to run. God's not finished with me yet. Someone needs to shout it. He's not finished. The problem that I believe that God wants to address tonight is your paralysis. You've been here too long, and it's time to move on. You see, you can focus on the paralysis, or you can focus on the promise. 38 years is a long time. 38 years of infirmity that had crippled him and silenced him and settled him into that place. And you know, I, I, as we're preaching tonight, I'm, I'm talking about somebody stepping over their past, I'm talking about somebody that is willing. To allow God to speak to you about your future because you don't feel like you have one. And you may have sung every word to every song tonight. You may have had a hand raised, but on the inside, you're still feeling like I don't even know how I'm going to complete what God has called me to do. 38 years is that long time. So first of all, I'm all for us sensing the responsibility for sin. I believe that we need to repent for wrongdoing. Pastor Matt preached it great for our children, and some of us were able to come up to that level this morning. I believe in the power of repentance, because here's what repentance does. Repentance repentance puts us on the right track. So if there's sin in your life, let's just start right there and say, God, you know, we started in prayer meeting, the faithful Few that were here in prayer. Well, not few. We had a good crowd Friday night. But the faithful that were here on Friday night, you say, well, are you going to preach to them about repentance? You know, we opened prayer service. We took a few verses and talked about the power of repentance. Why? Because we all can get off track sometimes. And as long as we're off track, if we continue off track, we're going in the wrong direction. But I'll tell you what happens when we repent: we get back on track. Repentance puts us back on track, whether we've been in the in the church for five years or fifty years. Repentance puts us back on track, and when we begin to walk back on track, God is bringing us into the future that He has prepared for us. That's the power of repentance. So as we're preaching tonight, if you're beginning to identify with the person that's on the mat, if you're beginning to identify with the person who doesn't know how to go forward or move forward, can I just encourage you tonight? Your first step is repentance. Your first step is realigning yourself with God's purpose for your life. Repentance is saying it's not over. I'm getting back on track. Repentance is saying I've been going the wrong way, but I'm ready to go the right way. That's what repentance is. That is why repentance is such a powerful, necessary, absolutely required step. We've all got to repent. Repentance puts us back on track. So I'm not saying that we skip repentance. I'm not saying that we step over God's purpose for our life and repentance. But I'm saying that we don't have to stay there. And that's all right. I, I, you know, I don't need everybody running the aisles. We just need the word to settle into somebody's spirit that's broken right now. I have no man. You see, there's two people in the room tonight. You're either in need of somebody or you're the somebody that someone needs. You're either in need of somebody or you are the somebody that someone needs. And why do you think that the devil is the master of division? Because if he can separate us from the one that needs us. We've never seen a world so divided. And you can put politics at the top. You can put prejudice at the top. But the enemy is is the mastermind of it all and if he can get us divided if he can get us separated let me tell you what happens that when the per- if we get divided if we get separated then the person that is reaching for us in the time of need they can't get to us because we be we're too far apart. We're too far apart in our ideology, and somebody's reaching because they've fallen. Somebody's fallen. They can't get up, and they're needing someone to reach and help them right now. But Isaiah, all of a sudden, we can't connect because we've allowed division to come in, and we've allowed this separation. This fight has come into the church, or this fight. I'm not, I'm not speaking to anything intentionally. I don't have a list. I don't have an axe to grind tonight, but I'm telling us that, that if we can come together, if we can bind together, if we can become united, then all of a sudden we become the church that God can use. The, the, the layman couldn't get to the pool, he identified that he was in the right place. He was there at the right time. The water was being stirred, but he didn't have the right person to help him. He said, I have no man to help me in the pool. I've got nobody that can help me. Do you know how many people are around you tonight, and they've got nobody to help them? And we're going along our merry way. We're all in the room together, and God's saying, I'm just needing someone to help him. And they're saying, I've got nobody to help me. Church, there's a real need that we're identifying in the supernatural tonight. And they can go through the motions on Sunday. But on Monday, they're looking for somebody because they're broken. And they're parent. And they don't know how to get out of the mess that they're in. They just need somebody. The right place, the pool of Bethesda. He picked his place out on the porch The lame man was there at the right time, surely in 38 years. He must have been so close at some point. But I'll tell you what the lame man had. He had all the wrong friends. You see, the lame man, he had surrounded himself with people that wouldn't help him or couldn't help him. So church, let's talk to us first. We have to be the people that somebody can rely on. We have to be the person that somebody knows they can reach out to. And I know that some people right now, they're thinking, well, thank God we have a great paid staff. Can I just tell you what we told our kids? Because I understood the reality. We had gone Pastor had taken us to a conference once and one of the speakers there, he said, I told my children, I may not be the one that you turn to, but I need somebody I need to know that you have somebody you can turn to. Can I tell you that there are many people in this congregation, I'm not going to be their first call. Kathy's not going to be their first call. Pastor, Sister Beverly, not going to be their first call. You know who they're going to call? They're going to call you. And in that moment, you've got to determine, are we going to get off? the couch? Are we going to get off of that mat? Are we going to get off of the bed of paralysis? You need the right friends in your life. Can I just encourage you, if you called someone and they weren't there for you, keep calling. I have no man. You say, I've got nobody. Keep calling. Keep searching. Keep looking because it's too important that you don't quit now. And and to the layman, I'm sure that after 38 years, Jesus was just somebody else that couldn't get him in the pool. He was just another man that that couldn't accomplish the impossible. He was just somebody else that when the water was stirred, he was going to run in all by himself and leave the lame man behind. But in this place, in that time, in this moment, Jesus was saying, I'm not like everybody else that's been around. I'm not like everybody else you've encountered. I'm not like everybody else that sat here by the pool with you and summarized all the situation and and given root to all the problem that's in your life and and commiserated with you and commented on the impossible of your circumstance. You know sometimes we spend too much time with the people that are in the same place as us and God's saying call somebody that's got themselves out of the mess that you're in. Call somebody that walked on through the valley of the shadow of death. Call somebody that got themselves out of backslidden state. Call somebody, come on, whose family went through a rough patch and a rough season but now they're on the other side. Call that person because that person's going to say come on, let's get up and get out of the mess that we're in he's in the right place he's there at the right time but he had the wrong friends but this friend of the friendless had shown up and he was about to change the entire situation Jesus can change your future I've got all these verses and I'm sure that everybody at the back's a little worried right now because we've been here about 32 minutes and I'm only on page two of eight, <laughs> sorry, three of eight, moving into page four. But if you have the right friends, a lot can change. You say, well, I have nobody. No, you really do. That's this emphasis that we're trying to pull together with our church this month. We're all in this together. You know what? It's family month. We're helping. We're helping families become strong. We're wanting to identify needs in our homes. We're wanting to identify circumstances and situations. We're wanting to identify those those things that can help. We want our our children to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We want them to know the plan of salvation. We want them to know that we love them. And we're willing to take time and and build uh, children's ministry locations and and we're moving slowly into Sunday school and in relaunching and reordering plans for the future and we're doing whatever we can whatever they allow us to do we're doing it because they matter to us we want the elders and our heritage to know you matter to us we wouldn't be here without you we want moms and dads to know that you're not walking through this alone we want our singles to know that you matter to us and you're important This church needs you. They need your strength. They need your focus. They need your ability to pack up at a moment's notice and make a change. We need that. We need not just families to be strong, but we need our church to be a family. In every family, there is... People that we can lean on, sometimes there's people that we really can't lean on. I'm not I'm not gonna focus on that. But the layman had no man. I have no man. I don't want that to be spoken of this church. I don't want someone to walk out the door and say, I couldn't rely on anybody. We all need we all need a friend. You know, John 13, Jesus said it. This is a new commandment. It's a new idea. That you love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. Three times in two verses, Jesus said, love one another. I think he identified a need that occurs in our midst sometimes because we lack love. And he encouraged us to love one another. You can be in the right place at the right time. But we want you to make sure that this is the place where you find the right friends. That's difficult for us because we know that costs us something. I'm going to skip 2 Samuel, guys. I'm going to just slip to... But what kind of friends do we surround ourselves with? Because the lame man at that pool of Bethesda had the right place, the right time, but the wrong surroundings. You can come back to the music tonight. What What kind of friends are you surrounding yourself with? What kind of influence are you surrounding yourself with? Who's in your bubble? Man, that means more to us than it, than it did Nine months ago, six months ago. Sometimes the problem is is that we have no man because uh, that, that's the part about COVID-19 that <clears throat> that we genuinely dislike. When they shut services down, and we were here in this building, and the lights were out because it was easier seeing the spotlight than it was empty pews. And we were separated by phone lines and internet lines. I say, Jack, aren't you just focusing too much on, you know, the church isn't a building. You know, we all preach a little bit about that because it's not, but I sure need you. And I would even go as far as to say, is you need me. We need each other. And the problem is, is that in those seasons where we're all separated because of, that's, that's what I hate about that disease. It brings us isolation, separation. And, and if ever there was a time in someone's life when they would say, I have no man. I have no one, no one that will understand, no one that knows where I am. It was in seasons like that. And I remember Pastor commenting, I'm I'm not worried about those that are strong, but I am worried about those that are in a place of challenge right now. I'm worried about those that, that have been in that place a long time. I'm worried about how we bounce back after. I'm worried about that. I'm worried i remember us talking about it i remember us praying about it i remember us praying for you that god would strengthen you that god would encourage you why because we know what it's we know how that can become so mentally challenging when you feel like you don't have anybody some people said wow it must have really been a great break you know i I said earlier in the message that many of you we wouldn't be your first call but but can i tell you that for many of you we were a call during those seasons when we were separated as a matter of fact some of those weeks our phone never stopped ringing we didn't have a problem with it we embraced it why? because we know that in that time there were a lot of people that, that were in a difficult place they, were, they didn't know where else to turn I don't remember Kathy complaining about it I don't remember me complaining about it I don't remember us commenting about it my phone hasn't stopped ringing all day long why? Because we needed each other, we needed each other, and we couldn't be here, and, and what, what a delight it is for us to gather together and be in this room tonight, what an opportunity it is, what a privilege it is, I can celebrate, I come on, Sunday's my favorite day of the week, some people say, well Jack, you only work an hour on Sunday, All right. But I get concerned because sometimes in seasons of separation like that, I think that's part of the the ploy and the plot of the enemy. Because when we are separated from one another, we begin to fill our community and our surroundings with things that shouldn't be. What kind of influence... Are you surrounding yourself with? We spend moments together in services like this, but there are hours that we spend in online communities. But my question tonight is: What's your online community consist of? Who's in your surrounding? Because the lame man had no one to help him because he was in the wrong surrounding. He was in the right place at the right time had all the wrong people you can be here every Sunday but you can have a sphere of influence where nobody can help you because you're in the wrong community We all have to examine ourselves in moments like this because God is challenging us He doesn't want us to be the man on the mat. He wants us to be the one pulling somebody up into a place of restoration. That's God's plan for your life. God doesn't want you to be crippled by online activity. God doesn't want your mind to be inundated with The history that's in your Spotify or your iTunes. God doesn't want endless hours consumed in your Netflix account. And I could look up and go through all this, but I'm just going to keep reading my notes if that's okay with you. The time that we waste on games and sports, and we can name sports stars, but we can't list 10 commandments or 66 books of the Bible. Here's a question, is the Great Commission an intentional part of your life mission or has it got missed somehow? They call YouTube stars influencers for a reason. Some of you can tell me more about families of people that you will never meet than some of the folks that are right here in your own church that need you. Young people, I didn't even know who Kylie Jenner was until today, but some of you can tell me everything about Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian, but can't recount the story of Joshua and Caleb. We need to identify our surroundings. We need to take a minute and look and say, why am I in the place that I'm in? I'm in that place that I'm in because I have no one. I've surrounded myself with the wrong people. I've surrounded myself in the wrong environment. I've surrounded myself with all these influencers and, and individuals that can't help me up. I've got to reline myself. i got to get back to church. i got to get back in church. I've got to get back in focus because if I'm going to become the person, the young person, the elder, the kingdom person that God designed and intended for me to be. i got to get around the right people. See, you're such, let's go back to song service. We'll get there. But here's what we're desiring, that we're going to get there with all of us. It's not condemnation. It's a challenge. It's a challenge in the Holy Ghost to say, you know what? You're better than that. You're better than this. You're better. God's got a greater future. God's growing us one step at a time. God's got a plan for our church. I know we've been a little while tonight. I've been talking to us. I've been challenging us. I wanted to identify some things that are in our life. But can I just tell you, God's got a plan for your life. Don't stop here. I've got more, but I think we've said enough. Somebody near you needs you. You see the difference. Thank God for God. Thank Jesus for Jesus. He showed up, changed the layman's future, changed his plans. But can I just tell you that, that there's another story about another man in Scripture. It's found in Mark 2. It's, it's a picture to me of what God would desire for the church to become. God doesn't intend for us to be like the, the the pool of Bethesda where we're all infirm, sitting around waiting for one moving of the water. I, I do believe that God is calling people to become, come on, people with a bias for spiritual action, people with an intention to make a change in the kingdom, people that are in come on, they're, they're involved they're intentional, their plans include God's purpose they believe that God has a great revival and it's people like that that say, oh we're not no, 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 we're not content with you being on the mat, we're not content with you being lame, we're not content with you staying where you are our intention, come on we're going to get you up because we know what God can do in your life, I love Mark 2 for that Said Jesus entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise abroad that he was in the house. If we ever get this understanding, if we can just get the world to know that Jesus is in the house, people will come. Mark two and two, and straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they who four men said they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born afore. And when they could not come nigh to him because of the press, listen to what they did. They uncovered the roof where he was and when he had broken it up, you know, the, the roof of those times was layers of sticks and, and hay and then they packed the mud in. Anyone ever tried to dig in that dry mud? You imagine that that Middle Eastern heat baking the roof until it just shed the water off. But they got this lame man, this lame friend. You know what, that lame man had the right friends. That lame man had a CCC in their life. A CCC that said, you know what, we're not gonna leave you where you are. It's time to get up. Come on, get on the gurney. We're taking you to see Jesus. I can't do it alone. I need three more people. I need four men that are just gonna arrange their schedule. They're gonna change their timeline of purpose and intent. They're gonna make a change in somebody's life because one needs to be born of four, and they took him up to the roof they took him up there and began to tear the roof apart digging down through the sand and digging down through the mud I'm sure Jesus as he was teaching, one version says that they lowered him in front of him I'm sure as he was teaching he knew what was happening, he's God, he knows what's going on the sand's falling in his hair, he's losing the attention of the audience but come on, the real sermon's about to happen in just a moment. You see, he had the right friends. Somewhere, somewhere in the midst of his brokenness, somewhere in the midst of his infirmity, somewhere in the midst, he had got a hold of some people that he knew could make a difference. He got a hold of some people that were willing to adjust their schedule. He got a hold of some people that were willing to make a change on their plans for Monday. He got a hold of some people that were willing to say, I- I'm going to it, give it all. we got. I-, I believe that God's going to make a change in your life. I'll-, I'll take the call. I'll talk with you. I'll encourage you. I'll pray for you. We're not going to talk about all the impossibility. We're not going to talk about the improbability. We're just going to get you to Jesus and watch what happens. There's a city full of people that are waiting for somebody. Come on, waiting for a few. Waiting for four that will lift them and bring them and encourage them because God's about to... Re- He's about to rearrange their life. He's about to change their future. He's about to bring them up off of the bed of affliction. And they're going to become great and mighty in God. Standing with me. I will finish in two minutes. When they couldn't come nigh for the press, they uncovered the roof and let them down. You know, verse 5 says, when Jesus saw not his faith, when he saw their faith. We have a responsibility, church. We have a responsibility because somebody needs caring. It may be somebody that's right here right now. They may still be home. They may be watching online. You know, we got people in our own city that watch our services. I'm going to encourage you. Make the break. Come on, let's show up. It's not COVID keeping you back. It's just fear. It's doubt. It's that you don't feel like you can ever go forward. But can I ter- Can I just encourage you tonight? There's there's at least four people in the room that will help carry you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to call you. They're going to teach you. We'll We'll train you to become what God wants you to become. When Jesus saw their faith, I'm praying tonight that the word will challenge us. Will elevate our faith. When Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, "Son, thy sins be forgiven thee." Certain scribes sitting there, He He identifies the real need in His life, the sin that that beset Him, the sin that put Him off track. He identifies that need. Of course, the scribes and the Pharisees are going to have a problem with that. But He said, "What's easier?" To say, sins be forgiven, or arise, take up thy bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. God will do both. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately, someone say immediately, he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, I never saw it in that fashion. God's going to do some things that we've never seen before. But he needs somebody to be somebody for someone tonight. Every hand raised. God, you're challenging us to make the call, to reach out. God, you're calling us to carry someone tonight. God, you're calling somebody out of that Surrounding that traps them and isolates them and paralyzes them supernaturally, encouraging them to come out into kingdom purpose and kingdom plan. God, there's people in the room that feel like they're paralyzed right now, but God, you are going to use them to carry someone in literally into the kingdom. God, I pray tonight, let that commission rest on this church family let that call be so clear in this room tonight god let the great commission be our mission we pray would you just take a moment and allow your prayer to become very personal tonight Come on, it may be a challenge to become the person that God's going to use. Or it may be that you're that person that felt like it was impossible up until tonight. But God's got a plan for your life. The enemy is trying to detour. He's trying to distract. Come on, he's trying to derail. But God sent a word tonight to let you know it's time to get up. It's time to move forward. It's not time to stay. Where are you going to be in that place? Will thou be made whole tonight? God's call is calling you. Let me be a willing.